give us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community. That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. What was the tithe for? Well, the tithe was to sustain the kingdom of God on the earth uh, realized through the Hebrew nation. It was their tax system. And everybody's got to pull their weight in a, in a fallen government. I tell you what, you don't, you don't pay your taxes, you're going to go to prison. Even the pagans get this idea. The pagans think you ought to pull your weight, and if you don't, they're going to come lock you away and throw you in jail because you're not pulling your weight. We got military people that need to get paid, right? We got police that need to get paid. We got to put, fix the potholes that we never seem to fix in Sioux City. We got to take up the trash. We got to pick up your trash and dump it. And what do you, stiffen the whole community because you're not going to pay your taxes. You know what they do? They throw you in jail. Now listen to me. That's fallen, screwed up, corrupt politics gets this. Your community believes this. But see, here's the problem. God to them is government. God to them is government. Now, how pathetic would it be if the pagans have more honor and understand accountability better that in a civilization everybody's got to pull their weight? Now, how bad of an indictment is it against the character of a so-called Christian that if pagans actually enforce this stuff and take it seriously, but then you get in the church and you get freeloaders that come in and they won't tithe? So you're not pulling your weight, and it's the business of the church. It's the business of the congregation. Now, I, I, I get a kick out of this because I've got a friend who's an Orthodox Jew, a couple of them. And one time, he was one of the reporters. He came to do an interview with me, and we did the interview, and we got done, and we were just talking. He was fascinating with his church, it, it, it really with Club Genesis. This is amazing. And he's a Jew, and he, he goes to synagogue every Saturday. And he said, what does it cost to be a member of this church? And he's since moved on. A lot of these guys, they come in, they work here for a year, and they move on to a bigger market. And he came from Kansas City or New York or something. What does it cost to be a member of this church? I said, it doesn't cost anything to be a member of this church. He goes, no way. How do, you, how do you pay the light bill if there's no membership fees? And I said, I don't, it's just people just giving the offering of their own free will. Really? You could run this like that? I said, yeah. He goes, well, We've we got to pay membership dues. And so I'm, I'm just fascinated with it. I never heard of membership dues. That was him describing the tithe. And so the way they did it, and he said, in our synagogue, they find out how much you make, and you've got to get 10% of that, and that's your membership due. So I thought, oh, okay, tithes. So he was describing tithes, and, so the, and he said, if you don't pay it, they'll send you a bill. Yeah. I said, really? He said, yeah, if you're late, they send you a bill. You either pay it in one lump or you got to pay it, you know, monthly or something because they know what you make. You got to give 10%. That's your membership dues. He was just fascinated that evangelicals, that we don't bill you for the services. When you come on Sunday, you're not receiving a bill in the mail monthly or weekly or that you just pay it in one big lump annually. That's what they were doing. He was fascinated with this because in Jewish culture, the culture of the Bible, Oriental culture, Taking dominion is the business of the congregation. And frankly, in a screwed up mess that we have in America, it's the business of the community 
If you don't pay your taxes, you're not carrying your weight, you're not paying your fair share, you're going to jail. Now, I'm going to tell you something. People make all kinds of accusations. If you, if you discuss this stuff, you know, I just got to be honest, I don't, I don't really care. Make your accusations. Um, someday, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when it comes to this stuff, I know what he's going to say. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, because I told you the truth. And you've got to carry your weight in the church. It's wrong for you to not carry your weight. It's wrong if you're not bringing your 10%. If your widgets sell for a buck a piece and you're not making much money, your fair share is 10% of your buck a piece. It's not the same amount as everybody else, but it's right. It's a flat tax. Everybody carries their own weight in the church. So I want to encourage you, obey God. Listen to me. Dominion begins when you get it right. What's the tree in the middle of your garden? What is the tree in the middle of your garden? Only you know the answer to that question. But I can say the tree in the middle of the garden has always and always will truly belong to God. Don't screw around with his property because then you're just like Adam. And Adam was supposed to do two, two things under the auspices of the word dominion, have babies, Fill the world with righteous children. This has not changed, ladies and gentlemen. Part of the Great Commission with young married couples today is still fill the world with once born new babies, new life, the beauty of babies. And I've got my own little sitting on the front row this morning, and she's beautiful. I'm doing my fair share to fill up the world with righteous little Gordon babies. And that's still a part of God's plan for the world, but we're also to make sure that they are righteous. And in order to make sure that the world is being filled with righteous children, the kingdom of God must intervene and they have to be born a second time. We have to fill the world with twice-born righteous babies. And so the Great Commission is everything that was said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and then it is now added, we have to respond to the sin and the mess Adam and Eve made. And so the twice-born experience is God's solution for Adam and Eve's dysfunctional dominion. What did they do? They took dominion. Adam took dominion. He owned everything. And then, you know, as more people were born and more humans said, well, that's my tree, you know, that's my tree, Adam had to decide who owned what property. And over time, Adam filled the world up, but he filled it up with unrighteous, wicked people. And that's why Noah came. And so here we are, and we're dealing with the idea that we have to be sure we understand the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first. Take dominion in cooperation with God. Sell your widgets on behalf of God. Help establish the kingdom with every talent, with every grace, with every blessing that God has given you so that you can truly say, the middle of my garden doesn't belong to me. It's bigger than me. It's beyond my comprehension. It is the property of God. And I respect it, and I, I stay a proper distance from it because it doesn't belong to me. And there has to be something in your life that you know consciously does not belong to you. And I'll tell you what it is. It is 
the expression of whatever it is you do with your time and with your energy that is seen in the tithe. That is what doesn't belong to you. So you couldn't possibly think of yourself as being generous by giving what doesn't belong to you. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. And there's a difference between a resurrection and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. So natural dominion estranged from God is the acquisition of property and the enjoyment of it and having it in the center of your own proverbial Garden of Eden. It includes, of course, sexuality, and the enjoyment of sex is also in the center of your proverbial Garden of Eden. You have a born-once mentality. If you have a born-twice mentality, the acquisition of property and the exercise of your jurisdiction is done through the church on behalf of Christ's kingdom, and the kingdom remains the center of your garden. And your intimacy with God reproduces born-again persons filling up the earth with righteousness in the same way that your intimacy with your spouse gives birth to new people who are born the first time. And remember that the Apostle Paul said, Behold, I speak of a mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. Referencing what? Marriage. And so it's important to review these things because now I want to take you and show you something really interesting. And the world is filled with people that believe God saves. They believe that. God saves. God saves people. But that's as far as they go. They'll say, yeah, yeah, God saves. I I believe God saves. There's a lot of people that don't even think he does that. And then there's others that say, yeah, God saves, I believe that, but, but there's, he does more than that. And they'll take a step further and go out further in their, in their faith and say, I think God saves, but I also believe God heals. And then there's one camp that's, ah, I don't think God heals anymore. And, and, and some say, no, no, God does heal. He's still healing. And so there, there's a group of the church that says God only saves. And then there's a group that says, no, God saves, but he also heals. But each one of those groups has really limited God because this is not taking dominion. This is really falling short of our mandate to take dominion and fill the world with righteous people. And we put these man-made limitations based on a shrunken down understanding of the Great Commission and the gospel. The Great Commission 
is everything God wanted Adam and Eve to do and they refused to do, plus the response to the mess Adam and Eve made. So the reason why the Great Commission seems to emphasize getting people born again is because God is responding to the mess Adam and Eve made, but it does not nullify the command for a husband and a wife to have lots of children. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Can you say amen? And then in this camp of people say, yeah, God saves, but God also heals, they'll say, but he mostly just heals someday in heaven. Uh, it bugs me because I keep asking myself, who, who has ever got sick in heaven? Why would God need to heal someone in heaven? Now, the purpose of healing or, or save, why would God save someone in heaven? Well, so where does salvation really happen, right? Where does it happen? And, and we, we tend to take the idea, the concept of Jesus saving my soul or Jesus healing me, and religion takes those concepts and throws it up a million years from now. Someday in heaven, I'll be all saved and all healed, and it's projecting everything into the future. And I have a huge problem with that because from what does anyone need to be saved in heaven? Who's got a tumor in heaven and needs to be healed of their tumor? Who limps in heaven? Who has a wheezing problem and has to have an inhaler? Who has asthma in heaven? So the saving, the power of salvation, the purpose of it, that it happens through grace and healing. We need that here because this is where we're all limping. This is where we're wheezing, down here, right? Somebody look at your name and say, Amen. This is where we're having our trouble. We're in trouble down here. We need to be saved here, and we need to be healed here. But we have to go further than just getting saved and healed. Saved for what purpose? Healed for what purpose? Right? Oh, I'm saved and I'm healed. What do we do next? Make your widgets. What are we supposed to be doing? And see, Jesus described his purpose. He told us what he wanted to do. And I think we spiritualize things so much that we miss it. And I want you to see what Jesus said. Go to Matthew chapter 6. We ended the service with this last week. And I want to pick up here because you, you have to, you, you've got to understand the practicality of taking dominion. It happens physically. It's a decision that you make. When God provided Noah with plans on how to build an ark that would float, he had to go out and cut down physical trees and make planks of wood and get the goop, the tar, to squish between the boards so that it wouldn't leak. And it was a lot of very practical, disturbing, sweaty, hands-on, messy labor. They, they were heating probably, using fire to build fires and have great big, I don't know, big iron urns or some metal urn. It looks like a witch's cauldron with all their goop in there, their tar that they used to make it where it wouldn't leak, and they'd heat that up. That was a stinky, messy bunch of work. But you've got to go through the stinky, messy work if you want the benefit of the information God's given you to save your soul. Amen. And so some of the very practical work that we're supposed to be doing in this world is very dirty. 
It is very sweaty. It, it, you, you feel like you need to take a bath when you get done, and it's not always a bowl of joy, is it? It's difficult to establish the kingdom of God because we have an enemy that doesn't like us. Noah had like the whole culture turned against him. No one listened to his sermons. No one wanted to go over to Noah's church on Sunday morning. They all went to the other place, right? They want to go to the other place where everything's happy. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. What's that song they sing in the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. That's what they were singing. Everywhere except where Noah was, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. So they had to do physical, natural things. There's stuff you've got to do to establish the kingdom of God. It's not just come to church on Sunday and pray a lot. That's not enough. Get your hands dirty. Get involved. Pay attention. Look at what's in the middle of your garden, and if it's wrong, repent and switch it out. Everything in the center of your life should not belong to you. It should belong to Him. Because think about it. The garden was perfect. It was exactly as it was supposed to be. And when it was exactly as it was supposed to be, there was one thing in the middle of the garden that they were not supposed to partake of. And so when everything in your life is exactly as it's supposed to be, the center of your life is something that should not belong to you. And then you'll be walking in God's perfect plan for you. And so I want you to go here, and some of you have already committed this to memory. I'm going to ask you to stand reverently with me, and I want us to pray it again. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it really isn't the Lord's Prayer because they asked him, Lord, how should we pray? And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. So if we're going to call this anything, we should call it the people's prayer. It's not, Jesus doesn't need to pray this, you do. But he was teaching us how to pray, and I want you to pray it with me, and I want you to mean it and listen to the beauty of the words and hear the heart of Jesus because he wants you to do something here, now, on earth not someday in heaven. You're supposed to be doing something. It begins with your tithe. But if you're tithing, it means your whole career is dedicated to Jesus Christ. If you're tithing, it means all your time and your efficiency, reporting to work, going home, reporting to work. Everything in your life now, you're, you're in orbit around your career. It's in the middle, but it's not yours. It's not yours. It's God's. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It's His. It's not yours. So now listen, this is how you, exact words, this then is how you should pray. Say it with me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, today, this day, our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
You may be seated. Listen to the words of Jesus, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, this is an interesting thing, and I will leave you with this, and we'll pick it up here next week. The word life in that verse is a specific Greek word. There are four different words in the Greek language that are translated into our English word life. So you can't just look at the word and say, oh, life, being alive, and really understand what was meant unless you go to the Greek. The Greeks have a beautiful language like that. They have completely different words that mean entirely different things that make it very clear what they're communicating, whereas in English sometimes we're really trapped because we'll have one word that can mean a lot of different things, and it can be very confusing. Like, for example, um, is Chris here today, your husband? He's doing construction. Oh, Chris, right. you're, you're, you're distant. You're, you're apart this morning. Chris, you're doing construction, right? You do construction. You build stuff out of wood. Okay, so if I say stud, you know what a stud is, right? It's a two-by-four. Sometimes it's two-by-six. It's a stud. It's a stud wall. You get that. The word stud means something to you, right? So uh, Jeff Delzell, where are you? Where's Jeff? He's working. Okay, so if I said to Jeff, if I said stud, Liz, you're here. What does the word stud mean to your husband? It doesn't mean the same thing, does it? No. If I said stud, he'd say, yeah, what do you need? I know exactly what Jeff Delta would do if I said stud. So we have, we have one word that can mean a, a way, way different things. It's one word. In the Greek, they didn't do that because they knew that there would be Jeff Delzell's. So they have different words that mean specifically different things so no one gets confused. Okay, so Jesus says, I am here, down here, earth. I am here so that all of you can have life. But he used a specific word. I want you to know what it is. Here's the four different words that could have been used, and I'll tell you which one he used. First one in the Greek is suche. A lot of the time when you read in the New Testament, you see the word life, and the Greek word is suche. It's spelled P-S-U-C-H-E. I just wrote it on the blackboard there for you. P-S-U-C-H-E. Suche means human life. Okay? So you see the word life in English, it might be this word. It might mean human life, which is distinguished from animals and plants. It's not talking about plants or animals or, or anything else. It's just, or, or extraterrestrials. It's talking about human life, okay? This is the word, and, you know, the translators, we only got one word for, for all these things, and they call it life, which you need to know. Okay, here's the next one. Sometimes the word that is used in the Greek is bios. Some of you computer people probably didn't know that that was Greek, but they're using it in your computer language, bios. Bios is a Greek word, and it means all living things. All living things. For some reason, my pen's not working all the time, 
bios, all living, that means plants, it means animals, it means molecules, it means germs, it means insects, it means people, it means dogs, cats, and yes, yes, even the food you cook, if you leave it in there too long and it gets mold on it. The next one, this, this is a very interesting word because if you, if you misunderstand this when you're reading a Bible verse, you will completely get it wrong. If you see the word life and you think, well, I know what life is, I know what they meant by that, you would be very surprised if this was the word that actually is in the original language. Anostrophe. Anostrophe. It looks nothing like bios. It is spelled nothing like suche. But it is a Greek word for life, and when you're reading the King James Bible, or probably any of the other translations, this could be the word they used, and it just is L-I-F-E to you, and you're thinking something completely different. But anostrophe actually means the behavior of life. So this isn't really talking about life versus death. It's talking about behavior. Anostrophe means behavior. And so if you read that wrong, you can really mess up what the verse is saying or what you think the Bible is trying to teach you. Now, here's the final one. This one's really, really important because you see the word life when you're reading the Bible. And if you don't know that this was the word that was used, you will not understand what it means. It's spelled like this, Z-O-E, Zoe. Spelled nothing like the others, sounds nothing like the others, means something entirely different. So you're going along in the New Testament, and, you, and a verse says something about life. And is it the behavior of life? Is it human life? Or is it plants and animals? Or is it talking about this? What does this mean? The God kind of living. Zoe means living by definition of the word life as it would be interpreted in heaven. God's life. God's life is much different than yours. It's different from just humans. God's life is different from plants and animals, mosquitoes, insects. God's life is different than bacteria. He's talking about the God kind of life. And Jesus says in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy, but I am come that you might have zoe, and that you might have it more abundantly. Somebody say zoe. So my purpose, Jesus says, is to give you a kind of life down here that is not often experienced. And for this reason, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come down here. Thy will be done down here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus said, in effect, I have come down here to give you the kind of life that is mostly up there because I want Zoe down here in you, through you, all day long, every day, through your, I want to change your life into, uh, from human to the God kind. And this is called being born twice. You need to learn in, in the taking of dominion, you have to understand that it's done in a partnership with God where he shares his Zoe life with you so that you can accomplish everything in this planet that you're supposed to accomplish before you die. The Zoe life of God infiltrates your life through the expression of His grace. 
This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in.